This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I, I have this group of friends that I uh, get together with, uh, that get together every Friday. I don't come every Friday because sometimes I'm just wiped from the week. But they get together every Friday evening and um, just talk and drink wine, maybe order food. So I go over last Friday and I say to uh, my friend Vinny, whose house it is, I say, hey, where's Lena? That's his daughter. Where's Letizia? And he tells me that they're at a joint parental child sleepover in New Jersey where apparently a bunch of girls get together, you know, children, maybe, uh, I, I think she's about uh, 15, maybe 16, and their parents get together. I thought, oh, that's, I guess, kind of interesting. I never heard of that. And then the next day, I read this article in the New York Times. Headline by Aaron Sagan. Headline, sweetie, I'll be back at 2 a.m. And apparently there is this growing trend where some parents who are anxious about their child staying in someone else's home are choosing what they're calling sleep unders instead of sleepovers. Sleep unders where they pick children up just before bedtime or they're even staying over with them. The parents staying over with them. Uh, They chronicle that parent after parent that does this. They chronicle Brianna Michaud, who was a child in the 1990s and her childhood was filled with sleepovers at friends' houses Her mother sometimes came inside the house and chatted with the parents for a few minutes, but sensitive topics like bodily autonomy, gun safety, or technology use, except for the rule that she not watch anything rated PG-13 or higher, weren't the kind of things discussed. This woman's now 35 years old. She says it was a different time. So it may come as no surprise that parents are experiencing more anxiety in general these days. There's this increased awareness of issues like sexual abuse and gun violence. That's uh, Christy Keating, a licensed parenting coach in the Seattle area. That's what she told the Times. Almost half of parents in the U.S. describe themselves as overprotective, according to Pew Research published last year. And really, I don't know that there's any scenario that tests a parent's vigilance more than the prospect of allowing their child to sleep at another family's home. For some parents, one solution is this, the sleep under, also called a late over, where children come to play, but they don't stay to sleep. In this Times article, they 
talk about Cornese Armstrong, a mother of three children, ages 12, 14, and 20. Has She has never allowed her children to spend a night away from her, even with other family members. I mean, that I don't get. She does, however, want her kids to have normal childhood experiences. Well, I think that ship has sailed. So she settled on letting them attend parties if she can bring them home at bedtime, even if that means two or three in the morning. Considering the alternative, saying no altogether, Ms. Armstrong, who's 43, lives in California, feels this is a good compromise. I have to tell you, I used to love sleepovers. I would host a lot of sleepovers, and I would sleep over at a lot of friends' houses. I mean, for a long time, too. And, you know, especially as I got older, we would have these movie marathons, and we would conduct the elections about which movies to watch through either ranked choice voting or cumulative voting. And honestly, the voting process, the debating process of what movies to watch, what movies were going to be nominated, because we do a movie in each category, a comedy, a science fiction movie, unless it was a themed movie marathon like uh, James Bond or Indiana Jones or um, something else, you know, but, in, or, uh, no, maybe the Star Trek movies. Unless it was a themed movie marathon, we would have w- nominations from each category, and everybody who was attending would vote, they would present their case, and that was so much fun because chances are we never really got past more than two movies anyway or we would usually fall asleep probably in the middle of the second movie because you know we'd order pizza we'd hang out and it was a lot of fun it was really one of my favorite experiences of my childhood and i think it's and i've talked about this before with lenore skenazy i think it's such an important aspect of a child's development and of a really and a parent too i think you know a parent has to learn that's your child is not going to be with you all the time. I am definitely not what would be characterized as overprotective or a helicopter parent. Maybe if I was a little more overprotective, my son would not have a scar beneath his chin right now. But that's a story for another day. I am curious what you make of this trend of the sleep under, of picking your child up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning not letting them stay over a friend's house for the night. I understand where these parents are coming from, but I uh, I want no part of this as I uh, wouldn't want no part of it as a child, want no part of it as a parent. I'm curious what you think. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. And what do you think this trend of the sleep under says about where parenting in America is today. I think one of the things that it says is that parents are worried to death. Now, maybe with good reason, right? I mean, better to be overly cautious than, you know, have your child uh, exposed to something like drugs. But I still think there's an important part of a child's development that involves not being with your parents every night. I mean, the the woman in California that doesn't even let her stay over family, so I don't get that at all. And we would never do that. But um, that other trend that my friend's daughter was a part of, that's also becoming popular because not all protective parents are picking their children up. Last March, someone hosted a mommy and uh, Miss Mushoud, that uh, 35-year-old, 
hosted a mommy and me sleepover with another mother and two children at her house in Washington before her family moved to San Diego. She considered it a great way to let her children, who were five and seven, and their friends spend the night together in a safe, familiar environment. It's also a good way to connect with another parent. I get that. I get that aspect of it. But I think there's still a lot of value to a good old-fashioned sleepover. 800-848-9222. If you have a thought on this, 800-848-9222. I mean, I would ask the question, what do children potentially lose by not spending the night elsewhere? I think it gives children an opportunity for real independence. I think it gives children an opportunity to be exposed to different lifestyles, different customs, maybe different foods, different ways of speaking, you know, um, different smells. And I think that the different cultures in other people's homes that you're exposed to really can inspire all sorts of new interests, Maybe in music, maybe in language, maybe in cooking, maybe in clothing. I think it's a wonderful thing to sleep over. I think it's fun. I think it's beneficial to children. And I think parents can get something out of it too. You know, a free night off from your child if they stay until the morning. And it's a great way to trade babysitting. It's a great way for connection to other families. All right, we'll have little Johnny sleep over our house Friday Maybe next time they do a sleepover, they can sleep over your house. This way Johnny's parents get a free night out, and so do we. And I think that's important for adult relationships as well. So I think that the trick is to strike a balance where parents are cautious, but they're not overprotective. And I think this trend towards the sleep under, it, it lends itself more towards the overprotective. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Last part of this Times article that I'll mention. Ms. G, who asked that her last name be withheld for privacy, and her husband once hosted a parent-child sleepover in their backyard where fathers slept outside in tents with the kids while the mothers retreated to the comfort of their own beds. So for Ms. G and her family... Traditional sleepovers won't be an option until her children are at least 13 or 14. Well, at least there's that. Growing up in Sweden, she thoroughly enjoyed spending the night in other homes. But knowing what we know now, she said her and her husband's attitudes have changed. I'm much more of the worrywart mom. I uh, I like that idea of the sleep outside, the dad sleep outside in the tents with the kids while the mothers, you know, don't. It's kind of fun. But it's a different experience than just a good old-fashioned sleepover. I think there's room for both. I think there's room for both, and I think there's value in both. All right. 800-848-9222. Three open lines if you want to communicate. 800-848-9222. Tony, where are you on this? Were you ever a sleepover person? Yeah, as a kid. um, Well, I I didn't think you were doing it routinely as an adult. Yeah, when I was a kid, I I would go to sleepovers. Um, I remember my friend Kyle... He had a sleepover one night, and me, him, and our friend Chucky, we were watching The Shining with Jack Nicholson. Oh, that's fun. That's yeah, cool. yeah, we had fun watching that. You, you know, it's so funny on CBS Sunday Morning. I didn't. I had this on my list to talk about yesterday, but I didn't get to it. But uh, they had a really interesting piece 
on the house where The Shining was filmed, and there's a whole aspect of it about somebody who was frozen, cry- cryonically frozen, and their body is, uh, they're not in the house anymore, I don't think, but it, th- this whole environment developed over celebrating this frozen dead guy that was right near the house for The Shining. It's really cool. People should check it out if they want. I'm trying to get uh, maybe somebody from that company that froze that guy to to join us to talk about it. But um, what do you make of this trend, Tony, of parents not wanting to do the sleepover anymore? Well, you know, times are different from when we when we were kids. And I understand because you never know what can happen. A lot can happen. Um, I remember a young lady who I dated, she told me some stuff that happened to her when she went to sleep over at her friend's house. You know, um, nearly got violated by um, the host's um, older brother. Uh, see, you know, you know, we did this story once and someone um, you know, someone talked about how they had been molested at a, uh, it was a, a, a guy who had, had a sleepover. And, you know, you only hear one story like that. That's enough to make you swear off sleepovers. I do think, and I and I hear, I hear that, and it's terrible. But I, I do think there's an opportunity to properly vet the conditions that your child is going to be sleeping over to get to know the family a little bit before that happens. And it's got to be a family that you could trust because that is a big deal, and it is that is a cause for concern. So it sounds like you see where these parents are coming from. Yes, I do. Yeah. All right. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. If you want to comment, Elias, where are you on this? Well, I mean. I, my parents always, you know, they they were fine with you know whoever I wanted to sleep over with, but you know, they they would always vet the family a little bit. Yeah, know? that's yeah. what you have to do, right? That's you responsible parenting, careful. exactly. Yeah. So where are you on the sleep under trend? Uh, not not a fan. I, I no. think it makes the kids feel weird, and you know, the kids grow up and probably become weird. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> Fair enough. Jay in Cincinnati, what's on your mind? Hey, I, I recall my youth. We actually went on a bicycle tour of indiana with a church youth group and we camped out frank camped out had the time of our lives bicycling uh well over 100 miles and we stayed you know camped out in the church's basement sometimes and then other times we had little pup tents we camped out it's a blast well it sounds fun and this wasn't something that was a, a part of an organized organization like the scouts or the church or anything it was just something informally that you and your friends did on your own no, the uh, the pastor was an avid bicyclist. Oh, okay. Uh, drive a car, and he just got it together. Sound like a great idea. Gotcha. For the youth group. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hey, whatever works. Uh, I'm all about getting children different experiences. Thank you, Jay. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. is in Pennsylvania. Hi, Joaquin. Hey, Frank, buddy, it's your favorite idiot. Well, what's on your mind? Okay, you know what? I think that whole thing about the sleep under is totally stupid and ridiculous because by 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, anything that they were going to do is going to have been done by then anyway. That's such a good point, right? If they're going to experiment with drugs or uh, uh, alcohol, well, I guess maybe you wouldn't uh, drink alcohol if you know your mom is going to pick you up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what what's to be gained by picking your child up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning versus six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning? Exactly right. That's that's ridiculous. But I actually originally called up because I wanted to talk about uh, Trump. And also, I want to explain my occasional lapses of lucidity, like my last call, because sometimes I'm a 64-year-old guy and I work a long day. And I, I work in extreme pain, actually. And by the time I get done, sometimes I'm actually shaking. 
I hear and you, brother. I I hear you. I, I believe me as someone that works odd hours myself and am sometimes physically um, hurting because I'm so tired. I I get it. I get it. It's all good. Yeah, no, nah, but I, I'm falling apart from the waist down part because I got shot when I was 16 years, 17 years old. But that's another story for another time. There's some iron, ironies there. But anyway, uh, I was calling about the the Trump Trump and the uh, indictments. He said, why would anyone vote for him being in, in, indicted? Well, no, that's not exactly what I said. What I said was um, analysts really need to examine the decline in American institutions. I said it used to be if you were indicted, your candidacy was considered over. Now that's absolutely not the case. Now I think a lot of people really view this as in some ways a resume enhancement. So I think we uh, we in society need to look back and determine when did that happen? When did we stop viewing an indictment of uh, or a criminal investigation, whether it's somebody like Trump or Eric Adams or Bob Menendez? When did we stop viewing that as something negative and instead view it as a um, a resume enhancement? And I think really it's a reflection in the decline of of institutions, especially law enforcement agencies, that we've seen over the last few years. And I think there's a lot of factors to that. But go ahead. I'll let you comment. All right. Well, you, well, that's the whole point because everything that's been put on Donald Trump and, and the pun the pun is intentional. It's all trumped up, and we see that because everything that there's not one thing that they've charged him with that has any grounds to it. You know, there's nothing that he did on on January sixth that was unconstitutional. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, anything and and a lot of these things they've gone after him. I mean, it's ridiculous about the property values. You know that. That in itself, you, every single point that you can argue about that, I mean, the, the banks and the, the lending institutions, they make their own valuations. You know, th- these things are just it's it's all political. Basically, it's it's like I hate to say, it, but like Nazi Germany. And I have family history that goes back to them. I mean, my grandfather, do you know, what the Iron Cross is. Yeah, I know what the Iron Cross is. Sure. OK, he, he was awarded the Iron Cross twice in World War One. And he was a he was a prominent Nazi official in World War II. The family, nine children, you know, they were living they were living the good life, but you see, he sacrificed that, and he wound up being executed for helping undesirable people. Yeah. You know? Wow. Um, oh, well, I'm sorry about that, but I, I think even with all the problems with our government, Joaquin, I, I think we're a long ways away from anything approaching Nazi Germany. I mean, it's just not the case. I mean, Nazi Germany. Not only did you have the uh, the end of fair elections, but you had incredible repression of free speech, and you had uh, an attempted genocide. I mean, we're a long ways away from there. And, I, you know, a lot of people, they love that. There's this theory, it's called Godwin's Theorem, that the longer any argument goes, someone will eventually invoke Hitler or the Nazis. And I kind of feel like that's where we are, right? I mean, the people that don't like Trump, they uh, reference speeches that he makes about immigrants poisoning the blood of our country. And you say, they say, oh, that's Hitler-like. That's Hitler-like. The people that do like Trump, they see uh, these Trump prosecutions as being something that you'd see in an authoritarian regime. I really think we need to pump the brakes on that. You know, um, there are all these terms that are overused, I think, in culture today. Nazi, Nazi, one. Um, racist, another one. Uh, Anti-Semitic, Semitic, another. 
And I think we need to be very careful when we use any of those terms. Because if we use them to describe everything, then really it takes the sting out of what the Nazis really did, which was atrocious. If everything is racist, then when we really do see a racist incident, all of a sudden the the sting of that word racist, it's a little bit dulled because we now use racist to um, talk about the New York Times doing an article about Eric Adams' wardrobe. I mean, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. 800-848-9222. Robert's in Pearl River. What's on your mind, Robert? Yeah, Frank. Uh, I'm good. How are you? Uh, back to the uh, the sleepover friends. I used to really love that. And I had a friend. His name was Mark. And uh, my mother would always say yes, by the way. And I remember I still use this technique. So he, in a, a very cold day, you know, when it was snowing or rain, he would always wear um, over his socks baggies, like, you know, the plastic bags to cover his feet. And I still do that today, and it keeps it keeps the feet perfectly dry. And I learned that from him, I remember. At a sleepover? That's right, because he, he had the boots and he pulled them off, and my feet were wet, and his were dry. And I said, oh, what are you doing there? You put the baggies over there, like Ziploc bags. Sometimes I would use saran wrap right over the socks, pretty high up to the knee. And then if there was a blizzard, I would have a perfectly dry foot. Otherwise, snow gets in there, you know what I mean, or whatever, water, it's it's wet. So I learned that from him as a kid, and I still do it today. That is such a good point, and that is totally illustrative of the kind of thing that parents and children can teach other children at sleepovers. And that's exactly the kind of thing, you know, maybe in the grand scheme of things, that's not that you know, life or death, uh, a change in someone's life. But I think it's an important thing. And it's just one of many things that contribute to a broader cultural education of a child. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Robert. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment about this rising trend of the sleep under, people picking their children up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning instead of just letting them stay over. Good idea? Bad idea? Have you done this? Are you familiar with it? 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. One morning I woke up and I knew you were 
minutes after the hour. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. You know what I can't stand after any election? All these guys on, and it doesn't matter what network you're watching, they get this this group of, and I guess I've done this too from time to time, although I try to do things a bit differently. They get this group of five or six people together, these pundits, X, so-and-so, this, that, this, and they all pontificate about, you know, like they're experts on why what happened happened. Now, where were all these people before? Were they saying the same things? I suspect many of them were not. And do you really need hours and hours and hours worth of coverage all saying the same thing, which in this case, in the case of Iowa, is Trump won in a landslide, DeSantis finished second, Haley finished third, Ramaswamy dropped out. Now, do you really need hours of analysis for that? I, I mean, maybe you do, but uh, I just, this is where cable news really is showing how they are struggling at times to fill 24 hours uh, in the news cycle. I mean, there's so many other things to talk about. For instance, yesterday was the first day in American history. That not on the, the, where all the following things fell on the same day: the Hawkeye, Hawkeye, two NFL playoff games, two games that I predicted correctly, by the way, and uh, by the way, I am three dollars and uh, sixty-one cents richer because of that, and the Emmy Awards. Now, I don't, I'm not really that into the Emmy Awards, but I love award shows in general. So during the halftime at the uh, at the Tampa Bay game, I turned on the Emmys because I uh, just was curious to see if any shows that I liked were being honored like Ted Lasso or Only Murders in the Building. And this year, the Emmys celebrated 75 years of honoring the best of television. And the reason I'm not that into it is because I haven't seen most of the shows. I don't really watch... A lot of episodic television, the handful of shows that I have seen, I am rooting for them all to do well. But I have to say, with a little bit that I saw of it, I thought was really interesting. I thought it was a very well-produced show, a much better-produced show than the uh, Golden Globes, which we just saw. I thought there were some interesting presenters. I thought there were some interesting comedy sketches. To me, that's what an award show should be about. And one moment that I didn't see as it happened, but I read about, uh, I thought was just wonderful. And I was sorry that I didn't see it. You remember Christina Applegate? I knew Christina Applegate from Married with Children, but she has had quite a career beside that. She was in uh, Better Off Dead, and she had really one of the more moving moments of the night last night. This is a a 52-year-old actress 
who was diagnosed with MS in 2021. And about 10 minutes into the ceremony, they um, introduced the first presenter of the night, Christina Applegate, who everybody knows she has MS. And the audience leapt to their feet and cheered with gusto for this this woman who was nominated for lead actress in a comedy. So she strode onto the stage with the help of a cane and a, a fellow that was escorting her. And she was so overwhelmed with emotion by her reception, but she barely missed a beat before recovering her quick wit. Here's a little bit of what Christina Applegate had to say in her remarks. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. You're totally shaming me with disability by standing up. It's fine. Okay. Um, (laughs) Body, not by Ozempic. Okay, let's go. Uh, Some of you may know me as Kelly Bundy from Married with Children. Um, Thank you. We don't, we don't have to applaud every time I do something. Um, or Samantha from Samantha Who, or probably maybe my last job from Jen Harding from Dead to Me. Thank you. But very few of you probably know me from that debut. I'm gonna cry more than I've been crying. Baby Bert Grizzle on Days of Our Lives. It was really a breakout role. Is there a picture? Oh, look at that, look at that. I, I, I think I've been canceled. Um, anyway. It's been an honor to play funny, flawed, complex characters like the women nominated for supporting actress in a comedy series. So uh, that was a nice moment. There were some other moments that um, that have been have gotten mixed reviews. Uh, for instance, the Television Academy president Frank Sherma took the stage for his annual turn at the mic. And it made sense that they would discuss the 75th anniversary. So to mark the occasion, the Academy put together a list of the 75 most impactful moments of television's rich history, including scripted television like uh, Dallas's Who Shot JR cliffhanger and major news events like the 9-11 terror attacks. But some people didn't think it was necessary to include an image of the burning Twin Towers in the very brief cut down of the impactful moments video. They said, you know, it was wedged between the moon landing and the mash finale. And they said to reducing it to such an, a dev- reducing such a devastating tragedy to a highlight reel isn't impactful. It's just tacky. You know, I thought about that cause I didn't see that. I read about that afterwards. I, I think I disagree. And look, I was, you know, in New York on September 11th. I still, you know, I lost a pretty close friend. And I still think about that a great deal. But, and I'm not trying to diminish the impact of September 11th, but seeing, I really think television did a wonderful job on September 11th of 2001. And I think one of the shames is that, uh, and I think the great did a great job with the moon landing. And I think a lot, one of the shames is when we talk about the 9-11 attacks, we don't really see the uh, burning Twin Towers. So I think if the video is supposed to be a highlight reel demonstrating the moments, the best moments of television, I think it's fine to include that. I really do. I realize some people may think that's insensitive. I, I think it's fine to include. One thing I did see 
which I thought was hysterical. I saw this live because it aired during the halftime at the um, at, at the uh, Bucks game. They had Tina Fey and Amy Poehler present an award, but they had them present it as if they were doing Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live. Now, they have hosted their fair share of award shows. They did the Golden Globes for three straight years. I think they'd be a great duo to host the Oscars. And they did such a clever rendition of um, their, their bringing this back from Saturday Night Live as they presented the award for Outstanding Live Variety Special. And the person that won that ended up being Elton John. And that makes him a full EGOT. He has now won an Emmy a a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony, which is pretty rare. So they did a lot of these show reruns. That was the only one that I saw live, but they had an Ally McBeal, uh, not rerun, reunion. They had an Ally McBeal reunion. They had uh, a Sopranos reunion, which was kind of weak, I think primarily because they didn't have Edie Falco in there. They had, um, you know, some other reunions that got mixed reviews, like Cheers, All in the Family, Grey's Anatomy. But... For the most part, and I think maybe Hollywood has gotten the lesson that people don't want to see this. For the most part, the award speeches were pretty much non-political. And I think they're seeing the numbers of these telecasts. The Golden Globes were completely non-political this year, and the numbers went up. So I think they're looking at, hey, look, we don't want to alienate right-wingers or left-wingers. We want award shows that everybody can watch. And if we spend some time talking about how horrible Donald Trump is or how horrible the Palestinians are or how horrible the Israelis are, then uh, we're not going to have people that disagree wanting to continue to watch. One of the rare instances of uh, somebody getting at least a little political, and I don't even know if political is the right word, is when RuPaul gave her speech. RuPaul is, um, she's a pretty famous drag queen. And she got a bit political in her speech. She won for, she was giving, I don't know, she won some awards. She's, she's got some popular show. But she was, um, she gave basically an impassioned defense of things like drag queen story hour. Here was RuPaul. Listen, if a drag queen wants to read you a story at a library, listen to her because knowledge is power. And if someone tries to restrict your access to power, they are trying to scare you. So listen to a drag queen. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. That was one of really only two. Uh, political or even semi-political moments. The other one, um, this was the most political that, you know, it got, I think. And it it was at least, it was at least short. This is from um, Nancy, uh, Nisi Nash Betts, who I have to tell you, I was honestly not familiar with before this show, but she thanked herself and she acknowledged somebody else. She took home the Emmy for Best Supporting Actress in a limited series. And she thanked herself. And she was in the movie uh, Dahmer, which is all about Jeffrey Dahmer. But she also included another acknowledgement. I'll let you hear what she did. I accept this award 
on behalf of every black and brown woman who has gone unheard yet over policed, like Glenda Cleveland, like Sandra Bland, like Breonna Taylor. As an artist, my job is to speak true to power, and baby, I'ma do it to the day I die. Mama, I won! So I, I actually, I um, first of all, what happened to all those people, Brianna Taylor, Sandra Bland, and Glenda Cleveland? I mean, it's terrible. Um, but I liked the passion there, and just in terms of theatrics. It was good television to see how excited she was and try to get these these thank yous in there. But in the press room, after receiving her trophy, she elaborated a bit more on why she thanked herself. She said, I'm the only one who knows what it cost me. I'm the only one who knows how many nights I cried because I couldn't be seen for a certain type of role. I'm the one who knows what it's like to go through a divorce on camera and you still have to pull up and show out. And you still have to go home because you have children and a whole life. So I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of what I did, that I did something that people said I could not do because I believed in me. Now, as somebody that's been a performer, because radio is a performance, as somebody that's been a performer and had to go on and do a show when you're going through a very difficult time in life, I appreciated what she said in terms of that aspect of it. And I kind of, even though, um, you know, I, I don't know that you needed, I wouldn't have used that term over-policed, underheard and over-policed, but, uh, you know, I haven't had her life experience. I'm sure she has um, had a different history of interactions with police than I have. But I loved how passionate she was. I loved how energetic I was. I thought it was her, how energetic she was. I thought it was uh, really interesting. So that's pretty much kind of where the Emmys were. Uh, the Oh, the big winners, uh, Succession won. Um, I think that was the big winner. Uh, John Oliver won again. Um, most of the other people that won, honestly, were shows that I have not seen. That doesn't mean that they're not great shows. But the three big winners, they said, were... Succession on HBO, The Bear, which is on FX, and a program, a show called Beef, which is on Netflix. So I have to be honest, I am sure they're great, but I've heard nothing but great things, especially about Succession, but I have not seen any of those shows, so I really can't speak to that. All right. Um, Some very interesting things happening on the UFO front. I just reached out to Jeremy Corbell to see if he could join us tomorrow. He's an investigative reporter. He's uh, been on our program before. Very A guy who's dedicated his whole life to this. And he's a reporter that's featured in this new docuseries called UFO Revolution. And I'm looking forward to seeing this. I haven't seen it yet. But it's a, a docuseries that follows all sorts of UFO-related conspiracy theories and they just not only is jeremy corbell in this but he just released this video which people are talking about with something called the jellyfish ufo i don't know how i don't know how he got this but they always get these these videos he and uh, george knapp and they um this uap what they call the jellyfish uap was spotted in Iraq around 2018. And the internet has been going crazy since Jeremy released this. 
So you had um, you have people that have varying views on the matter, but you have people that think there might be something to this. So uh, Jeremy Corbell was on News Nation uh, talking about this. He was on Ashley Banfield's show. This is what uh, this is what Jeremy Corbell had to say on the releasing of the jellyfish UAP video. This is again a, a specific UFO that was seen over a rock. All I can say is that uh, being a strategist, what's really important is that we can make a lot of noise and get things into public consciousness when it will have most effect. Now, this meeting has been on the books for a while. Uh, George Knapp and I have been sitting on this footage for about three and a half years. We've been trying to figure out the best way to get it out if we can verify it from firsthand witnesses, which we sure did. So as we unfold this story, it kind of seems like perfect timing today, right? So he shared the raw footage of this October 2018 sighting uh, on his YouTube channel yesterday. And the video, you could see it, just search Jeremy Corbell. The video appears to show the jellyfish-like object flying over a military base at a consistent speed and moving in one direction. In fact, I'm going to link to it. If you want to see it, you can just go to... um, my Facebook page, and you can judge for yourself whatever you think about it, and then uh, g- give me a call. Tell me what what your take on it is. But it's it's really interesting. So the video appears to show this jellyfish like object flying over a military base at a consistent speed, moving in one direction, and it was filmed over the per- Persian Gulf at night um, in October of 2018. So Corbell has reported on UFOs for years. He said the object moved through a sensitive military installation and over a body of water where it eventually submerged. After around 17 minutes, Corbell said the UAP reemerged from the water and flew suddenly at a speed far more rapid than what technology could capture on camera. So I just linked to it if you want to... uh, if you want to check it out for yourself. But the UAP displayed what they call a positive lift, and the force holds an aircraft in the air without the typical aerodynamic means for lift and thrust. So that's usually what's associated with propulsion maneuvers, and that was not present here. But you can see the video and uh, make a judgment for yourself. Tell me what you think. All right. We'll take your calls in a moment. Four open lines, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
minutes until the top of the hour. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for listening. Hey, uh, my wife had, uh, she gets these migraines. And we, um, my sister-in-law Sharon gave her this special migraine medication to take right at the beginning of a migraine. So last night, we were driving to my mom's to um, pick up my son. And she said, you know, she's starting to lose her peripheral vision which is usually an indication that a migraine is coming on. And so we went back home, took one of these migraine pills, and she went to bed super early, uh, right after Carmen went to bed, around 8 p.m. And uh, she said that's usually the only thing that totally gets her over these migraines. But really, uh, it's difficult to know what the trigger was because usually they happen when, you know, you're very overwhelmed or stressed or dehydrated. And that wasn't the case with her at all yesterday. She was probably less stressed because Carmine was at my mom's all day, but she still had this migraine attack. So I'm hoping um, I'm hoping she feels better because uh, we certainly have a lot going on today. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. All right. Uh, but wishing her the best and uh, everybody else that is either a migraine sufferer or married to a migraine sufferer. Um, 800-848-9222. Deborah's in Fort Lee. Hi, Deborah. Yes. Hi, Frank. Hi. Uh, that niece, that woman that, uh, accepted the award, she was in Reno 911. She played a police officer. Do you remember her? No, I, you know, I didn't see Reno 911. I know it's supposed to be a great show. I, I haven't seen it, but. Oh, it was a great series. Very funny. Very zany. Um, a lot of times when they bring up these, like Trayvon Martin or Breonna Taylor, they always leave out, for some reason, I don't know why, Miriam Carey. Do you remember her? Uh, refresh my recollection. Shot? Yeah, I know she... Wait. Okay, Dory... Yeah, she was... Yeah, the, was she the, dent was the dental hygienist? Yes, yeah, she was. Yes, I remember. She was there with her daughter in the car, and they shot her and killed her. Mm -hmm. And nobody talks about it. They never bring it up. Yeah. I well, never hear her name. Yeah, why do you think that is? Right, that's my question. Why do you think that's the big question? Why? That was unnecessary. Yes, she was not well. Her family said she had issues. But a lot of the other people did too. It's very it baffles me. But we never hear her name. And she you know, she had her daughter in the back seat and they shot her. Yeah. No, you're right. That was and a she, want, she wanted to talk to President Obama. She was on the way to the White House looking for him. You know, whatever. But that that was the story. And nobody has ever delved into that. Yeah, that you know, it's such a good point. I don't think I've heard her name in close to 10 years. No, I know. And I, I feel bad about that as well. I feel bad for her daughter. I want to also recommend um, maybe you could interview uh, John D'Souza, the ex-FBI agent. Do you know who he is? I, I do. I think I've actually had him on this program. Oh, um, okay. But if not, you know, I, maybe we've been in touch recently. Um, okay. I, yeah, actually, no. I just recently, I'm, I'm looking at our history. Yeah, I just reached out to him, actually. So it's fortuitous oh, that you would God, mention so this. Funny. And um, his his uh, assistant basically told me just last week that he's not doing any shows at this time. Oh, so okay. I don't know. If that's, that's all right. Well, he's quite an interesting fella. He is. Yeah. All no, right. I, I want to have him. Yeah. Uh, I think we had him on about three years ago, but I want to have him back, which is why I reached out to him. I think he'd be great. Yes. Maybe Jesse Ventura again. He he he's interesting, right? You know, we're actually I um I, I think he was a little tied up this week, but I reached out to him okay. this week. Okay. Um 
about maybe getting him on next week because um, we're actually starting on um, a new station in Minneapolis next week, and I thought he would be a fun person to have on next week when we're we're on in Minnesota. Okay. So I am uh, I'm going to try again with right. him. Uh, I know he was tied up this week, but we'll try him again for next week. Absolutely. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Deborah. 800-848-9222. You know, it's funny. The, um, you, I, I mentioned a few days ago, speaking of the UFO situation, the UAP situation, the members of the House Oversight Committee this week, or I guess maybe a couple of days ago, were briefed by the Intelligence Community Inspector General. And they all had interesting comments. They all spoke to the press And basically, they said, in short, that UFOs are a serious national security issue. They said that David Grush, who's that fellow that testified before Congress, that his claims are credible and that more congressional UFO hearings are are coming. Here, for instance, is uh, Congressman Jared Moskowitz, a Democrat of uh, Florida. process is extremely frustrating, but actually, this is the first real briefing that we've had that we've now made, I would say, progress on some of the claims Mr. Grush has made in his complaint and some of the claims he provided uh, to, to Congress. This is the first time we kind of got a ruling on what the IG thinks of those claims. Uh, and so, you know, so this meeting, unlike the one we had previously when we did this briefing, this one actually moved the needle. Uh, so I thought it was really interesting. And you heard from a lot of other Republicans and Democrats who essentially said the same thing, which is that this meeting meeting with the intelligence community was far more substantive than uh, certainly than I expected it to be. I, uh, if time permits, maybe next hour I'll play you some other other clips of what other members of Congress had to say. All right, um, no more guests. We are going to hear from Noam Laden. He's got some fresh news for you that you will get a kick out of. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. A really interesting discovery at a concentration camp that I'm going to tell you about. And um, a lot more, a little bit more related to Iowa, some other interesting stuff. I'll give you a preview of what you can expect on the show tomorrow. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts. So be sure to use it.